Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California's eviction moratorium expires on September 30th. And while previous expiration dates were extended, Assembly Housing Chair David Chu told Cal Matters the will to extend again among his colleagues isn't there. The question now is whether we'll see a long-feared wave of evictions. Tenants and housing advocates say rent relief programs could keep many housed after the eviction moratorium ends, depending on the timing of those payments. But federal rental assistance has been slow to make it through state and local bureaucracies. We look at whether things have improved in time. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Renters and housing advocates in California say it's been hard to access rent relief since the state's program launched in March. Even though more than $5 billion in federal money is available and the state pledged in June to pay 100 percent of rental debt owed, the payments have been coming out at a snail's pace. Now, with the eviction moratorium expiring at the end of this month, tens of thousands of renters are left wondering whether they'll get the assistance in time to avoid losing their housing. Joining me first is Sarah Kelly, who lives in San Pablo and spent months navigating the rent relief process. Sarah Kelly, welcome to Forum. Hi, Sarah, are you there? Uh, Yeah, hi. Hi, thanks so much for coming on. And I wanna start by asking you first, what happened to you when the pandemic took hold? How did you fall behind on rent? Um, so when the pandemic first hit, um, I, I have an autoimmune disease, so I'm immunocompromised and I was doing work with, with the public and, um, basically I had to stop working in person, um, and start working from home. And my, my organization at the time was unable to, um, provide me with work that was remote. So I essentially was, was temporarily laid off. And then my my partner, um, she worked at a card room and she was also laid off um, at the beginning of the pandemic. We were actually stopped working two days apart from each other on March 17th and March 19th. Um, And my partner didn't go back to work until August of this year. And I was able to go back to work in March of this year. Um, But the time in between, we were on unemployment and 
Um, there was a time where I was working part-time remotely, but it wasn't the whole time. So is that how you coped in those months when you were unable to work? You, you say you did get a little bit of unemployment, but I imagine it must have been incredibly stressful. Yeah, and um, I didn't feel like the unemployment was you know, enough to lift off the weight of the worry. Um, and I also really didn't um, think that the pandemic was going to end anytime soon. I, a lot of people when it first happened were like, oh, this is only going to last a month. This is only going to last a couple of weeks and then we'll be back to normal. And I really didn't feel that. I was anticipating that the pandemic was going to last a long time. It's now lasted longer than I was expecting. But um I just didn't feel like, you know, just because I was receiving unemployment that it was going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how long the, the problem was going to last. And you qu qualified for eviction protections because you were affected by the pandemic, but it still required that you pay some portion of your rent, right? Um, yes. Starting in September, um, when AB 3088 was passed, um, you had to pay uh, 25% of your rent amount at minimum, um, and also re uh, return declarations of your COVID impact to your landlord every single month um, to qualify for the COVID protections. So I didn't just qualify because I had already documented that I was impacted by the pandemic. I had to monthly pay a portion of my rent and also return a declaration stating that I was still financially impacted by the pandemic. And I understand you mentioned earlier that you were immunocompromised, that at times you felt like you were making decisions between paying for your medications and paying for your rent? Yeah, I, I definitely was aware pretty early on that, um, you know, this was an issue about having to choose between paying for my housing or paying for my food and paying for my medicine. Um, both Both my partner and myself have medication costs that we have to pay for every month. And so there was just no option to, to let that go to the wayside. And so we were making really hard decisions that I think a lot of people were having to make during the pandemic. When did you hear that rent relief would be available? And what was it like for you trying to access it? Um, I, had, I heard that um, rent relief would be available through the state prior to SB 91 being passed. Um, since March of 2020, I've been um, involved in um, ACE, the Alliance for Community Empowerment. So, Sarah Kelly, I think your connection's going uh, out. The last thing we heard you say was that you've been involved with ACE, the Alliance for Community Empowerment. And so did that help you understand what was happening with the rental relief program early? We have, um, Sarah, I think there's something happening with your connection there. So while we get that stabilized, I'm going to bring um, Molly Solomon into the conversation. Molly, are you there? Oh, and it sounds like Molly Solomon, our housing affordability reporter, is not with us quite yet. So in the meantime, let me remind listeners that we're talking with Sarah Kelly, a renter who lives in San Pablo and received funding from the California COVID-19 Rent Relief Program. And we're learning just how uh, she 
just how Sarah was able to access that rent relief. And we want to hear from you, our listeners, if you yourself lost income during the pandemic, how you've managed to pay rent. Do you have an experience to share about applying for rent relief from the state? What questions do you have about the state's protections and rental relief programs? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. And Noel tweets, the bureaucratic morass that renters and landlords have to navigate in order to get the funds is unacceptable. No wonder people have less trust in our government to help when we need help, similar to the EDD benefit nightmare in that anti-fraud measure that and the anti-fraud measures that put up barriers. Again, if you have any thoughts on how renters who could face eviction after California's eviction moratorium lifts on September 30th, what they're facing, feel free to give us a call and share your thoughts. And again, Sarah Kelly is with us. They're a renter in San Pablo who received funding from the California COVID-19 Rent Relief Program. And my understanding is that we're trying to get uh, Sarah on a regular phone line, and we're trying to do that now. Okay. And Sarah, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. It totally happens these days with remote connections. And so you were just about to describe what the process was like for you trying to access rental relief. Yeah. So um, thanks to ACE, I was able to be really informed of when rental assistance was coming available. Um, and I was keeping up on, you know, when the application was going to open. So um, I saw the announcement from Contra Costa County that our application was opening through Housing is Key. Um, and I submitted my application within the first week that it was open. Um, I definitely started it on the first day, but because of the documentation that um, I had to collect for the application, um, I didn't submit it until the end of the week, but I was still very early in submitting my application. Um, and I actually didn't receive the funds until um, August 26th wow. of this year. So you applied in March and you didn't receive anything uh -huh. until August 26th. And because, yeah. yes, that's that's incredible. And do you feel like you're actually one of the lucky ones? Because from what I can tell with regard to the state's payouts, some one quarter of people who've applied for funds have gotten it. So, so you're in the minority, not the majority. Yes, I definitely feel that I'm lucky. Um, and I also feel that that's because I it is my my job that I help people apply for, for social support programs. So applying for something like this was a little bit more familiar to me, but I think that the reality for most people that have applied is that the process has been difficult, bureaucratic and confusing. And um, I do see a lot of the um, other tenants that I organize alongside with having a lot of difficulty with the application and you know, just not hearing anything back for, for weeks and months about the application. How did your landlord treat you during this time? Um, there was a, a lack of communication, I feel, um, about the application at first. Um, I was informing my property manager that, that we were applying, um, and she was doing, to her credit, everything she could to help support our our application and was trying to communicate with me. But um, around June, I found out 
through her that our, our the corporate office of our landlord was um, not going to accept the assistance for any of their tenants. They weren't going to participate in the application. So it wasn't even a personal decision about me. It was for all the tenants. Did they eventually change their mind? Um, they only changed their mind once um, the newest bill was passed um, that made it so that landlords would be receiving 100% of the back rent instead of um, before where it was 80% and then they had to forgive the 20%. Um, and at that point, our landlord actually sent out letters asking people to apply for the program. <laughs> if the landlord had not decided to get involved, because I understand that landlord has to provide supporting paperwork and so on, would you have been able to get 100% of the back rent? Um, if things had stayed status quo and the, the newest bill, I think it's AB 832, was, wasn't passed, um, I would have only been able to receive 25% of my back rent, and then my landlord would have been able to pursue the remaining funds in small claims court. We're talking with Sarah Kelly, a renter who lives in San Pablo and who eventually received funding from the California COVID-19 Rent Relief Program. They applied in March, got the funding in late August. We want to hear from you. Are you someone who's lost income during the pandemic, whether you are a renter or a landlord? How have you managed to stay afloat? Do you have an experience trying to apply for rental relief funds from the state? What was that like? And if you have questions about the state's protections moving forward with the eviction moratorium expiring at the end of this month, you can call us. 866-733-6786 is the number. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're hearing from tenants who struggled to pay rent during the pandemic and, and how they're coping with limited state assistance and possible eviction. We're talking with Sarah Kelly, a San Pablo resident. And joining us now is Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter and co-host of the podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. Molly Solomon, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me this morning, Mina. Hey, Molly, you know, a listener Joe has written in and I want to ask you if you can respond to Joe. Joe writes, I understand there are billions of dollars, federal funds available for rental assistance. However, only a paltry amount has been distributed. Tell us specifically who in the California government chain of command is responsible for this and where do we complain to express our frustration? Molly, we talked back in June about this very same thing. First, can you remind us what is available, how much has been doled out and why it's been so slow? 
Sure. You know, uh, Joe, I wish I could just point you to exactly who to write a letter to and to complain to. But, you know, like a lot of things, it's it's a very uh, big and complicated and it involves the government. So it's also bureaucratic. Um, but yeah, let's let's back up a minute and I can sort of explain where we're at. Um, you know, Sarah, earlier, one of the renters that's on the show right now, she's among you know, the last estimate that I saw was about 750,000 households that are still behind on rent in California and owing upwards of almost $3 billion in back rent. Um, mm-hmm. That's according to the policy link database. They've been tracking rent debt and who is still, um, you know, having struggling to basically be able to pay off some of that rent, both that they owe and, and going forward. Um, the way that California has responded um, and, and the federal government really is some of the eviction protections that have gone into place. Um, those, of course, expire at the end of this month. And those were there essentially to protect people who haven't been able to pay rent from being evicted as long as they continue to send in a declaration that they've been impacted financially by the pandemic and pay a quarter of their rent. Uh, you know, the other big thing here is that there's over $5 billion in rental assistance money that Congress passed and, and allocated that chunk to California. You know, across the country, it was more like $46 billion. But $5 billion is, is, is the amount of money that California has. Um, and that money was really supposed to solve this problem, right? But, you know, I've, I've kind of learned through this reporting process that it seems like it's really hard to give money away in this country. And that's the big concern is that, you know, there's this feared wave of evictions that we've all been talking about. And, and on paper, like that should be preventable for able to get money in the hands of the people who need it. But for some reason, it's been very slow and arduous. And we can get into that as well. Yes. But what happens once the eviction moratorium ends? If you're in the system, you've applied for rental assistance. Can you still be evicted? So there's something new that lawmakers added when they extended the current protections um, that was around the end of June, and they extended that through the end of September. And what that new part is, is kind of like a a six-month bonus extension that creates a period where if you have applied to the rent relief program, but you haven't paid out yet, you should be safe from having an eviction filed against you from your landlord. Um, pending that you get that money and then you're able to pay off that debt. Um, But it also creates uh, an additional 15 days that allows you, if if you qualify, you meet these income requirements, you've been paying part of your rent, um, that you could then get 15 days instead of, you know, being evicted or having to go fight your case in eviction courts. There should be a 15-day period that allows you to actually apply to the state's rental assistance program if your landlord files an eviction against you. So it's kind of like this transition period between the end of September to the end of March that, you know, lawmakers are hoping, uh, you know, avoids the situation where people who are waiting for their rent checks because of the slow process and the slow rollout or people who don't even know that they qualify and haven't yet applied could still get into that system or have a a little bit more time to get in before, you know, facing an eviction notice. I'm struck by by the fact that you said that there are some 750,000 renters who are behind on rent, probably close to $3 billion worth. But when we look at the state figures, less than $2 billion has been requested. So it sounds like a lot of people who qualify are not applying. Correct. I mean, I think there's like a couple big factors there. I mean, the first thing is that 
you know, people don't know about this. You know, there are a lot of people who are facing eviction or they've been behind on rent and they don't know that these resources are, are available or they haven't heard that this program exists or, or maybe they have and they don't think that the program applies to them. And it's also, you know, this has gone through different iterations. You know, we've gone through different uh, presidential administrations with this rollout of the federal funds. So, so it has changed and, and the rules have changed, too. So I think that's been hard for people to keep track of uh, it is, you know, again, with with the qualifications. And so a lot of people are not necessarily living in traditional landlord lease agreements, you know, <laughs> The Bay Area, California is an expensive place to, to be a renter. And so you might have an informal lease situation where you don't even know who your landlord is and you're just, you know, renting a room and, and paying your rent to, to the other roommate. Uh, maybe you're on like a sublease thing. You, you might even be living in like a, an illegal unit or something that's not quite a code. So it might be more of like an under the table arrangement. So I, so I think some people that maybe are living in this more like hidden housing or not necessarily traditional housing. Uh, might not think that they can apply. Hmm. Um, and then I think just in general, you know, this is a big infrastructure thing. This is something that the federal government has never done. Uh, a lot of states have not done this. You know, California did not have some sort of emergency rental assistance structure in place. So it's also just been like the story of uh, building something in a couple of months. And, and yeah, there's a lot of issues along the way. And, and I think that, you know, another confusing thing for folks that might not know you know, where to apply is that there are so many different programs. I mean, even look at like uh, Alameda County, for example, they've got their own rental assistance program where they're distributing funds. Oakland has their own rental assistance program within Alameda County. The state also has a rental assistance program where they're assisting some cities in Alameda County. So, so there's a lot of different things going on. So I think not only do you have to deal with knowledge in terms of people knowing about the program, but then knowing which program to apply to to get the rent. Well, let me go to caller D in Oakland. Hi, D. Hello. How are you? Thank you so much uh, for having me on. Um, I wanted to make a point about uh, small minority landlords that have been hit very hard in um, this situation of non-payment of rent and um, the eviction process. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate I have a very small uh, property in Berkeley, and Alameda County was helpful in um, uh, helping uh, get back rent from my tenant. That was a very fortunate thing, but it took a year. And so for that year, I was at the brink of losing a property that my father passed on to me that he built in the early 1960s. And that's what I think is missing in the conversation, is about small property owners what do they do? You want to extend the moratorium, but what do they do? If there is no access to the rental, um, back, the back rent, and you can't evict someone because the courts aren't taking any evictions. It's going to be so backlogged that you're still not going to be able to do that either. So what do you do? Dee, thanks for sharing your comment. And Molly Solomon, I know that you spoke to other small property owners like D in your reporting on the pandemic and just the, the lost income at this time, time during this time for both renters and, and landlords. Can you talk a little bit about what you heard and whether what D is saying is something you came across? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you can clearly hear the frustration in Dee's voice right now, uh, in a lot of landlords that I've talked to. Like, this has been a really difficult year for them as well. I mean, you know, folks like Dee might have their own bills to pay. There's the mortgages still due. There's maintenance costs to keep up the property. Um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of landlords uh, last year who, who were frustrated that they still had to pay their property taxes, you know, and they weren't getting a break on any of these. Like, these were all things that they had to continue to pay. Uh, and for a lot of folks, I think, you know, especially the small mom and pop landlords um, who, who rely on this as a source of income, um, it's been especially challenging. And, and, and even going through this program to get the money that, that they're owed has been challenging. You know, I've talked with some of the nonprofit groups that have uh, really been helping to work with the state uh, and the different local rent relief programs to get this money out is, is that they've, you know, haven't just been talking to tenants to fill out their applications. They've been talking to, to people like D, you know, small mom and pop landlords who, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for them to kind of find all the paperwork that they need, the documentation, you know, some people don't keep a rent ledger, you know, they just have a, a property or two. Um, so, so I think there's been a learning curve for them as well and, and a frustration, certainly, because uh, a lot of folks have felt like they've been waiting and they've been waiting for over a year now. And, and for some of those people, they haven't been getting rent for over a year now. Um, and, and I just think that, you know, it is important to understand that this is a crisis that is affecting tenants as well as landlords and property owners right now uh, who are experiencing this, who are being hurt by this. Um, and who this money, you know, needs to get to them before we, we see what I think Dee is referring to is, you know, what if folks get to a point where they have to sell their property or they fall behind and, and they're worried about getting foreclosed on, you know, that doesn't help anybody either. And that doesn't help our housing crisis move forward. You know, it's like if we are losing rental stock, if people are are selling their buildings to get out of the landlord business, um, that's going to be a problem because we are a state that also desperately needs housing and needs more affordable places to live. Let me go to caller Shay, also in Oakland. Hi, Shay. Hi. So Hi. we uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so we had a, a, a situation in our building when we didn't know what kind of protections were going to be happening, and a lot of people lost their jobs. And our approach was we just went on a rent strike because we didn't know it was going to happen. And eventually the landlords gave us um, a discount of like 30 percent. And then some of the some of the tenants were able to take advantage of the, um, you know, the renter help. But one of the issues that you have in the Bay Area is that you have people that are making a lot of money by national standards, but their rents are really high. So, like, for example, me and my partner, we'd be considered kind of rich in Ohio but we're crammed into a studio apartment. So when she lost her job, it was very, very difficult for us. And, mm. and it just, you know, it just, these programs don't really, you know, accommodate those people who are living in places like San Francisco and Oakland, where, you know, we have deep ties to the community and the landlords are kind of, kind of gouging us. That's how we feel anyway, especially with the big landlords like we have, you know, who will arbitrarily raise rent whenever they can. Shay, thanks. Sarah Kelly, Shay stories reminding me a little bit of what I understand you also did. You have a corporate landlord to try to get them to participate in the rental relief program. Can you share a little bit about what you had to organize? Yeah, um, and I was just going to also like 
go off of what Dee said and say that it's really important to see the failures of this program as an injustice to small landlords and tenants, um, because we're all really losing out together. And I think a possible impact of this is that the properties that are lost by small landlords could then be bought up by corporate landlords. And corporate landlords are becoming an ever increasing increasingly common thing in California and all over the country. And they really pose a threat to tenants. Um, in my case, they were really um, pretty uncooperative and also hard to reach. And it does take a good amount of research to even find out who your landlord actually is. They're hidden behind layers of LLCs, limited partnerships. So it makes it really hard to even find out who is that person that I'm sending my rent to and who am I to, um, you know, com complain to or, or have any sort of um, recourse when, when they're not cooperating. That was a really hard part of my situation and the tenants at my building was just that our landlord is not the person that's on our lease. It's not the entity that's on our lease. They're hidden behind an LLC. I want to bring Betty Gabaldon into the conversation, tenant organizer for East Bay Alliance for a Sustainable Economy. Betty Gabaldon, thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Good morning, everyone. And, and Betty, can you tell us about some of the issues clients you've worked with have experienced trying to access relief? Uh, there's a lot of, uh, um, I feel like a, um, a lot of tenants have already, they have been waiting for months to, um, they, they, they applied, I had some tenants, they applied back in May and they haven't even got a call from the state um, about the, if they got approved or not on uh, the rental relief. Um, it's just, uh, um, it's simple, unbelievable that uh, this protections that we have until September they're going to end pretty soon and people still haven't gotten the money. Um, and even getting and applications, sorry, even getting applications in sounded like it was really hard. It's yeah, it's been really hard. I was just talking to a tenant that um, it was, I mean, a lot of tenants don't understand the technology. A lot of tenants don't own computers. They have old phones and it's very hard for, for them to navigate the, uh, the website. Uh, so one tenant was telling me that once you put, once you start getting up, uh, put the application on online at that, in that moment, you have to take pictures of all the stuff that they ask, like receipts, um, uh, leases, all the stuff that, the, that they ask, they at that moment, they have to take pictures of it and send it at the same time. So it's kind of hard. I even have problems doing that kind of stuff. So I could imagine other people trying to do that, especially when you don't have a computer and it's hard to navigate the website. So yeah, it's 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 been a really hard. And then after you're done uh, doing the application online, nobody calls you. You don't know if you're um, if you've been approved. You've been waiting for months. You've been trying to call the line the the, the line that they have, and and nobody calls you back. So they're still waiting. Uh, so yeah, it's been a, um, it's been really hard to get a um, a hold of this money. And has it been hard for you to even convince some of your clients to apply? I was listening to Molly right now and she's, you know, what, like she was saying, a lot of these people don't know about the rental assistance. Um, and even on the county, on the 
city level, like, you know, we have people, we have landlords that have not accepted the rent. I mean, like we, we had um, money that, that was distributed by Monument Impact and Shelter Inc. over here in Concord. And some of the landlords had even refused to, uh, to get the, 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 the rent and they decide just to uh, evict the tenants. Well, Angela writes, I've only heard about monetary support of renters to prevent eviction, but what I have not heard of is local governments and credit monitors will flag a person's rental records that eviction was due to a loss of job due to COVID-related challenges. When someone is evicted, the reasons are not clear, and it is held against the renter for future rentals in a safe and proper space. This dogs them for years. People will have their reputations damaged for a long time unless we change how the eviction is recorded. Betty, is this something that you hear from your clients, concerns about having an eviction on their record? Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the people that I have talked, families, they not only had been evicted through court, but they, we've seen a lot of informal evictions. Um, a lot of the times, um, landlords use harassment um, as a way to displace pe uh, people from their homes. Uh, harassment and it's also like a lack of repairs. Uh, and we have seen an escalation of, you know, this type of uh, uh, behavior from the landlords. Um, and um, the ones that we had seen in court, uh, they were going, they were, you know, they were, they were doing it through Zoom. Uh, now that I think they're back in person, but uh, yeah, it is hard for a person to even, once they uh, get kicked out from a place, um, it's hard for them to find another place um, because it's so expensive out there. Just a two-bedroom apartment goes from two thousand to twenty-five hundred. Mm. Uh, plus, they ask for so many things. Um, they ask for so many requirements. You have to earn at least three times the amount of rent. They ask for the first last month deposit. Applications are forty dollars each. Each time you apply for an apartment, they ask for forty dollars. Plus, also you have to take time off your work to find a place. So many issues. We'll get to more of them after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the state's rental relief program and the difficulty in accessing payments at a time when California's eviction moratoriums are set to expire at the end of this month. We have Sarah Kelly with us, a renter who lives in San Pablo, Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter and co-host of the podcast Sold Out Rethinking Housing in America for KQED News. Betty Gabaldon is with us, a tenant organizer for East Bay Alliance for a Sustainable Economy and president of Todos Santos Tenants Union in Concord, who works with renters in danger of losing their homes. And you, our listeners, are with us. Let me go next to Teresa in San Francisco. Hi, Teresa. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Go right so, ahead. Um, my I'm a landlord, and um, in, in the interim, you know, while I'm waiting for to get some type of repayment, I've already applied to one of the programs. She's still getting her nails done. She's still getting her hair done. She just bought a new car, but I'm not getting any rent. Meanwhile, I still have to fix things, pay the HOA. When I asked her to help me fill out the form, she was very uncooperative, did not want to assist with that. Then when I 
got in touch with the program. They said that they're not even sure if I qualify, if she won't cooperate and put her information on the form. I filled it out as best I could from the lease agreement, but then she won't sign anything. Then my other question is, how could the state do this, or even the, 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 the nation, without setting up something? They were giving people money, but none of it was coming to the landlord for where they're living. I understand the economy had a lot to do with that and everything, but you need a place to live. It just doesn't seem like this is something that was legally done. It's like these are your properties, but we're, it doesn't matter. We're not going to pay you back. Fraudulent PPP, fraudulent EDD. They got all this money. We are struggling. And what the lady said is you can lose these properties and then a larger corporation will buy them. Then good luck getting a decent rent then is very true. Well, let me go to Molly Solomon. Is it possible that if a landlord wants to participate, but a tenant doesn't, the landlord can't do anything about it? You know, I, I think this is an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I'm hearing, the, you know, a lot of anger is there, which I think, you know, I've, I've heard from a lot of landlords right now, like they feel like they've been taken advantage of by their tenant, or maybe they don't believe that there's a legitimate reason for not paying the rent or, you know, also this has just been like a very uh, long year and maybe they just, want the tenant out or, or they want to punish them or there's that, that relationship has become fractured along the way because there's a lot of money owed and the systems that are in place that are supposed to help that aren't working for them. Um, I, I will say that, you know, it's interesting what you're saying about feeling like there could be a lot of fraud or that you want to be able to have more control of the situation because I think that the, the goal of, of the rent relief program was originally I think catered more toward landlords. You know, it was it was more like the landlord had to participate for the program to go forward, um, and there was a lot of uh, concern about like you know putting fraud prevention on there, like a lot of additional documentation uh, that tenants had to fill out. And what the you know federal government and what what most states and localities learned was that it was actually because of this fear of fraud, it, it was actually making it more difficult to get the money out because there were too many barriers in place to get it out. So, you know, what California did and, and what the, the Biden administration is now recommending most states do is to have a lot more flexibility, honestly, and, and to be able to have tenants, you know, apply without the landlord's permission. You know, if the landlord doesn't respond, the tenant could just get the money directly, as opposed to before, there was a lot more leeway. They had to wait for the landlord to, to prove this. Um, but the way that it is now, you know, a landlord can apply uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure where you live and which program you're applying to, but there should be a lot more flexibility in getting you that money. Well, this person sounds like they had a had a good experience. CC writes, my husband and I as small property landlords received rent relief assistance from the state. It did take six weeks to two months to get it. And the process required plenty of follow-up, but was so worth the effort because it relieved so much stress and struggle. AJ tweets, my landlord informed me that my application sent to the state agency was approved for 100% reimbursement. But I have a good relationship with my landlord. Why has the state agency not informed me, the renter, directly? So Molly Solomon, have things gotten better? Back in June when we talked, the state was acknowledging the slow rollout, the issues. They were saying that they were going to try to make changes. And I mean, they couldn't control everything that was happening at the local level, especially if it was being funneled through some of the local programs, as you say. But they were saying that it had gotten, that they were committed to making the application process less cumbersome and so on. So what have you seen, Molly? Has it gotten better? Because it's so important now, given the fact that the uh, eviction moratorium is expiring. Right. And I think that was sort of at the heart of why 
the uh, protections were extended this summer to begin with is that they, there was such a backlog and, and that we didn't want to be in a situation which uh, unfortunately we're still staring down where a lot of people are still waiting for, for this money that, you know, was approved and is sort of sitting there and, and trying to get out. Um, but, you know, there have been a lot of changes. I, I should say that, you know, it changes in the law too. Like originally uh, there was a clause that, you know, in order to participate and, and get the money, landlords had to forgive like 20% of the back rent. Uh, and so that caused a lot of landlords to say, no, thank you. You know, I want the whole amount that I do. Um, so the state's gone back and, they, and they've made adjustments. They, they, they adjusted the law. So now you'll get, you know, all of your back rent paid. Um, there's also a couple things where you don't have as much documentation that you have to fill out. They're allowing uh, tenants to have a self-attestation, essentially saying, you know, I, I swear under perjury of law that, that I did lose my job during the pandemic or, or that I had to stop working to take care of somebody. Um, and, and they started accepting, you know, informal leases as well. They've been a little bit more flexible with like what you can submit. Um, and, you know, and I looked at the dashboard that the states created. Um, it, it said that since the law was adjusted back in June and some of these, you know, adjustments were made, it, it's something like the, the amount of money that's gone out is like a 500% increase since the end of June. Um, but, you know, and I think, let me see, I, I can pull it up here. Uh, you know, they've received applications for about almost two billion in rent aid, and almost five hundred million has been paid out. This is as of data from last week. Average assistance is a little over twelve thousand dollars. So, you know, it is it is going up because, like you said, it was a slow trickle back at the end of June. Um, but hey, you know, there's still like two billion dollars in requested rent relief, and five hundred million has been paid out so far. So that's you know, it's not the same number. There's still a lot of people waiting in the queue waiting to get their payment. Let me go to caller Pamela in Sacramento. Hi, Pamela. Hello. Um, yeah, this is a very emotional topic for me. Um, I actually am currently unemployed, but I took the high road. And for the last seven months, I've been working on a program for renters, and it's called the Power Renters Workshop. And I, have, I am a property manager by trade. And there is so much relief out there for renters. Like um, Molly was saying, there's over 460 programs that the government has funded, and I've researched all of them. And I would love for renters to go to my website and actually sign up for a free workshop. I'm going to be working with renters Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday live online so I can help them create what's called a rental action plan. And me also being a former landlord, and property owner, I have the experience on both sides. And actually, I just want to say that never in my life would I think that the 30 years of me having housing issues would really come, oh, boy's heart, would come in handy mm -hmm. to help people. Pamela, thanks for calling I in. I wasn't going to cry. Uh, no, yeah, but housing um, is, I mean. I just I want mean... to know that there's help, you know, out there. There really is. There's solutions out there. And in you know, I have created those solutions for them. So thank you for letting me, me talk. Oh, well, Pamela, of course. And it, it makes perfect sense that housing is emotional. It's a core need. Molly, what Pamela's comment is also making me think of is that there has been a lot of infrastructure built now to try to provide some kind of support or emergency assistance to tenants, small property owners, and so on. Do you see an effort to keep some of this infrastructure in place for future emergencies? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely top of mind right now is, you know, we've had this global emergency that has, you know, caused a lot of unprecedented protections to come forward. You know, I don't think like before the pandemic, we ever thought that something like like a ban on evictions for non-payment of rent, you know, from the federal government could come down or that there would be billions of dollars available. You know, that was like a pipe dream. Um, so I think now that some of this has been built, there is definitely an appetite to think about like, what could we do, you know, not just in, in the weeks ahead to prevent some sort of wave of, of folks that are being displaced from their homes. Uh, but, but I think to think about like the long-term vision here, like now that we've built this thing, what can we do with it? I mean, I just think that it's really shown that there is so much that we don't know um, about who is being evicted, who's at risk of being evicted, or even just like who our renters and landlords are and, and where people are living. Like this has really shown to me that we don't, we don't keep track of these things. And, and maybe if we did, it would have been a lot easier to notify all the landlords, like this is where you apply or notify all the renters, hey, we've got money for you, you can go here. Um, you know, and I think just in terms of looking ahead for, for, for evictions and, and ways to maybe help people, you know, there's been a lot more talk about getting people access to representation and, and legal attorneys. Um, thinking about, is there a way to have, you know, knowing just, you know, like so many of the guests today have talked about just the way that eviction can follow you. Is there a way to get a landlord and a tenant in a room to, to talk through the problem, maybe to have some sort of professional mediation built into the system so that we avoid having to, to go to court in the first place and, and thing that costs both the landlord and the tenant a lot of time and money. Um, you know, I should add too, just that thinking about solutions and, and, and who this program is helping, there are also a lot of people that this program has missed. You know, I, I, I talked to a lot of folks when we were going out and, and, and seeing people sign up for these programs. Like there's a lot of people that have also done things, everything that they can to just pay the rent on time. You know, they've gone to friends and family for money. They've, they've taken out high interest payday loans that they've now got to pay off or they've racked up their credit cards. So it's sort of like this hidden debt that they've taken to, to, to do the right thing, you know, pay the rent. And, and this program, it's, it's not going to help them. You know, this program is only going to help pay the back rent. So I think we're also setting up a system where there are a lot of people that have tried to, to pay all that they can. And they're going to be racked with, um, you know, a lot that they'll have to pay back that they're not going to get assistance from in this program. Molly Solomon, housing affordability reporter and co-host of the podcast, Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America, for KQED News. We're also talking with Sarah Kelly, a renter who lives in San Pablo, and Betty Gabaldon, a tenant organizer for East Bay Alliance for a Sustainable Economy and president of Todos Santos Tenants Union in Concord, who works with renters in danger of losing their homes. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Vlad in San Francisco. Hi, Vlad. Hi. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. Sure. Um, I feel like... I really appreciate this conversation about helping renters and all that, but I really feel like we're not, I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about the root cause of the problem. And that's this huge disparity between corporate landlords and average people. You know, this is becoming a huge epidemic in America. Corporations buying up so many properties and where does it end? At what point does this become feudalism? And there's just a classist system where most cannot ever afford to own a home and, you know, corporations control the housing, able to raise rents as they please, and we have no other choice. Who's making laws against this? This is going to wreck America. 
Molly Solomon, I know this is something that you have looked at and heard a lot in terms of concerns. Do you have a quick response to Vlad? Sure. I mean, I would just say that, you know, you're right. Before we had this eviction crisis that we're staring at, we had a housing crisis. We had a housing affordability crisis. You know, we've got... Uh, <laughs> We've been getting wage increases and in over a decade, we haven't been building enough housing. Rents have just gotten higher. And I think you make a good point about talking about that there are different types of landlords out there. You know, we've heard a lot from small mom and pop landlords who who have had to also carry the burden of this last year. But we haven't really heard from a lot of these corporate landlords who, you know, research has shown make up a bulk of people that are filing these evictions in the first place or have a tendency to, you know, kick somebody out and raise the rent a lot higher. Um, and I think that, you know, we've even talked to some folks that work at the courts and it's like, uh, it's almost just like, you know, some of these corporate landlords just push a button, you know, and then print out a bunch of eviction notices and they arrive at the court in like a big stack. So, so I think that's a good point to make is that this is a bigger conversation. And while the focus, you know, in some ways, rightfully so, has been on small mom and pop landlords who do rely on this as their source of income, I think there's a much bigger conversation about the corporatization of housing and how that relates to the housing crisis, too. Well, Molly, I know you need to run, but thanks so much for being on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Sarah Kelly, I want to ask you how you feel about the eviction moratorium ending. I know you consider yourself lucky to some extent, even though it took so long for you to go through this process of getting housing, but you have been working with housing related organizations. What do you think is going to have happen after the eviction moratorium expires at the end of this month? Um, so I, I think that it, what's going to happen is what we've been afraid of this entire time, which is that a lot of people will be will be evicted from from their homes. Um, I think a lot of people will not have the resources after going through this experience to find other housing post eviction. And like we've talked about, there's a lot of barriers that having an eviction creates when you're trying to find other housing. So I just think that the homelessness, uh, the amount of homelessness that we saw before the pandemic is, is going to exponentially increase and that we're going to see a lot of more people having to live in their cars and having to live out on the streets, something that we've already been seeing this um, even before the pandemic. Um, and it's going to now be at an amount that is just on, you know, there, there's, it's, it's too big of a problem to even deal with. So I'm, very concerned for the people that will have fallen through the cracks with this program, um, that those are the people that are going to become homeless and they're going to represent, you know, some of the most marginalized people that have applied to the program or, or dealt with this pandemic. Betty Gabaldon, what is your advice then to people that you work with who are in danger of losing their homes? Right now, what I'm just I'm trying to tell them to um, apply for this rental assistance, even though um, it's taking months for them to get the money and to pay the 20, at least the 25% of the rent, because that's what's going to keep them, you know, housed for right now, once this uh, moratorium ends in September, I mean, at the end of this month. Um, sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I feel like there is no other, um, without uh, tenant protections, it's, it's hard. Uh, we're going to see, I, I agree with Sarah, there's going to be a lot of a uh, homeless, uh, homeless uh, families out there living in their cars. So yeah. Sarah, what about you? What advice do you have for folks, especially as if as you predict, they'll start to see a lot of notices on their doors soon? 
Um, so my advice is to read every single notice that you get thoroughly um, in the time frame that you are full assistance as soon as possible to help you understand what's going on and to help you um, fight against your landlord and keep your housing um, and to just become educated about the eviction process and in what ways that you as a tenant can can prevent that eviction. But um, I think it's going to take a lot of a lot of supporting folks and a lot of, you know, helping people get the help that they need to be able to prevent their evictions. Yes, there are a lot of rights that people have that may, that they may not be aware of. Sarah, Sarah Kelly, really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show today. I appreciate glad, it. Glad you were able to get rent relief. Sarah Kelly, a renter who lives in San Pablo and received funding from the California COVID-19 rent relief program. Betty Gabaldon, I also want to thank you for coming on as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. Betty Gabaldon, president of Todos Santos Tenants Union in Concord, who works with renters in danger of losing their homes and a tenant organizer with East Bay Alliance for a Sustainable Economy. Blanca Torres produced this segment. Forum is also produced by Tina Lauerberg, Susan Britton, Ariana Prail, Grace One, and Caroline Smith. Judy Campbell is lead producer for the 9 o'clock hour. Susan Britton is lead producer for the 10 o'clock hour. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Eng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. You've been listening to Forum. Thanks so much. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.